This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. NATO declared Russia to be its, quote, most significant and direct threat, with Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General of the Alliance, promising that Ukraine could continue counting on NATO assistance to face the Russian invasion for, quote, as long as it takes. However, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky lamented that not enough modern artillery systems and other weapons were being provided by NATO or its allies. Ukraine conducted its largest prisoner swap of the war with Russia, as each side traded 144 fighters. Among the released Ukrainians were 95 who fought to defend Mariupol until the city's surrender to Russia in mid-May. Separately, the Ukrainian mayor of Kherson, another occupied city in southern Ukraine, was detained after refusing to cooperate with Russian officials. A French court found 19 men guilty for their role in the terrorist attacks that killed 130 people at the Bataclan Theater, a stadium, and various cafes in Paris in 2015. Islamic State claimed responsibility. The lone survivor of the 10-member team that carried out the massacre was convicted of murder and attempted murder related to terrorism and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The others stand accused of assisting with transport or logistics. Justice Stephen Breyer said he will retire from America's Supreme Court on Thursday after nearly 28 years on the bench. Justice Breyer first announced his retirement in January, after which the Senate confirmed Katanji Brown-Jackson as his replacement. His exit comes at the end of an explosive court term, which included decisions overturning Roe v. Wade, extending the right to bear arms to public places, and eroding the separation of church and state. The heads of the European Central Bank, Federal Reserve, and Bank of England urged rapid action to tackle inflation, lest it become entrenched. Speaking at a conference in Portugal, the central bank bosses argued that delaying interest rate rises could see inflation, quote, become persistent. Jerome Powell has suggested that the Fed, America's central bank, may announce another rate increase of at least 50 basis points in July. The Biden administration backed the sale of American-made F-16 fighter jets to Turkey, a day after the country dropped its opposition to NATO membership for Finland and Sweden. In October, Turkey requested 40 F-16s. Until Wednesday, American officials had not commented on the advisability of any such transaction. The sale will have to be approved by Congress. Naftali Bennett, Israel's prime minister, told members of his party that he would not run again for a seat in parliament. His decision precedes a vote to dissolve the Knesset, which may happen on Thursday. Upon dissolution, Mr. Bennett will be replaced by Yair Lapid, now foreign minister, until an election in the autumn. The poll will be Israel's fifth in less than four years. The uncertainty it augurs makes possible a comeback by Benjamin Netanyahu, a former prime minister. And fact of the day, 651, the number of people who died trying to cross America's border with Mexico in 2021. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Indonesia's president goes to Moscow. In the past four months, a steady stream of national leaders have met their warring counterparts in Russia and Ukraine 
Up next is Joko Widodo, the Indonesian president. After visiting Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, on Wednesday, Jokowi, as he is known, will meet Vladimir Putin on Thursday. Jokowi is the first Southeast Asian leader to visit both countries since Russia's invasion. He has described his, quote, mission as trying to prevent a looming food crisis that risks casting poor countries, which rely on grain imports from Russia and Ukraine, quote, into the abyss of extreme poverty and hunger, unquote. He is unlikely to succeed. But as president of this year's G20 meeting, in November he has invited both Mr. Zelensky and Mr. Putin to attend, even though Ukraine, unlike Russia, is not a member. If they do, it will be quite an achievement. And if he can position Indonesia as a world power capable of mediating conflict, all the better. The Marcos family returns to the Philippine presidency. On Thursday, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos will take over from Rodrigo Duterte as president of the Philippines. Among the onlookers at the inauguration will be Imelda Marcos, mother of the new president and widow of the first Ferdinand Marcos to hold that position. The regime of the elder Marcos terrorized its opponents and looted the economy before a popular uprising restored democracy in 1986. But by glossing over the stain on his family's name, the younger Mr. Marcos won the presidential election in May despite offering Filipinos few details on how he planned to govern. The rehabilitation of the Marcos dynasty has practical as well as symbolic meaning. Mrs. Marcos, who turns 93 on Saturday, is free on bail while she appeals against her conviction for graft in 2018 part of a $200 million corruption case stemming from her husband's two decades in office. But once in office, her son will have the authority to pardon his mother. The plane in Spain stays mainly on the ground. On Thursday, Ryanair cabin crew in Spain began a three-day strike, shortly after similar action in several other European countries. Though the airline claims the first strikes caused little disruption, this one coincides with a stoppage by employees at EasyJet, also in Spain. Meanwhile, staff at British Airways and Scandinavian Airlines have threatened a walkout. Other airlines and airports are battling through fractious pay talks, and some air traffic controllers may also down tools. Pent-up demand from flyers in Europe and America had already outpaced the ability of airlines and airports to reemploy staff laid off during the pandemic. A lack of workers has led to cancellations on both continents, as well as long queues and peak travel times. The July 4th holiday weekend in America will prove another test for airlines, airports, and passengers. Add in the strikes, and it all makes for a gloomy summer in the departure lounge. Joe Biden considers offshore oil and gas. With petrol prices in America at record levels and inflation at a 40-year high, President Joe Biden is under pressure to act. His administration's five-year plan for offshore oil and natural gas development, a draft of which is due on Thursday, could offer some ideas on how it intends to deal with the energy crisis. Republicans and the occasional fossil fuel-friendly Democrat have criticized Mr. Biden's administration for hesitating to open new offshore sites for extraction. More supply, they contend, will help bring prices down. But environmentalists believe cutting the supply of fossil fuel is necessary to pivot America toward greener energy. Complicating matters further, when Mr. Biden was running for office, 
he pledged to ban new drilling in federal waters. Still, whatever Mr. Biden's plans, no additional fuel can arrive quickly enough to alleviate America's current energy woes. Until a final oil and gas plan is approved later this year, leases on new sites cannot be auctioned to companies. And those leases anyway take years to bring supplies to market. Americans will be stuck with wallet-guzzling petrol prices for a while yet. A simpler alternative to IVF? In vitro fertilization, the process by which an embryo is created artificially and inserted into a uterus, is marvelous. But it involves serious medical intervention, costs a lot of money, and often fails. According to new research by Lindsay Mackin of the University of British Columbia, there may be a simpler alternative. When infertility is caused by a blockage of the fallopian tubes, one option is to try unblocking them with a fine wire. This process, called re-canalization, is not new, but Dr. Mackin thinks it is underused. Between 2015 and 2021, Dr. Mackin's team examined 725 women who had at least one blocked fallopian tube. The doctors were able to reopen a clogged tube in 539 of them by using re-canalization. Dr. Mackin did not look into how likely these women would subsequently be to conceive without IVF. But with about 2.5 million cycles of the treatment performed each year, somebody should. Daily Quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which British newspaper was founded as the Daily Universal Register in 1785? Wednesday. Which Christmas carol was based on a poem by Christina Rossetti, set to music by Gustav Holst? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Amprakash Valmiki, who was born on this day in 1950. Why didn't an epic poet ever write a word about our lives? That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.